things continue apace in Ukraine. All kinds of things happening there and in Moscow, we should mention. Um, as, uh, as you probably know, uh, Russia has illegally annexed four regions of Ukraine. It's almost a fifth of the entire area of that country. It was part of the referenda that they held last week that most observers say was a complete joke. Um, regardless, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it would go this way. Uh, all of the Western countries saying they will not recognize this by any capacity at all, um, not being taken seriously. One other thing that is being taken seriously, and it's interesting, is Ukraine last week uh, officially requesting admission into NATO and saying they want to fast track that, which I think it makes sense on a lot of levels, right? But at the same time, it really, really does ramp up the risk, I think. So to get some details, we're going to chat with Andrew Rasoulis, who's a defense expert with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Andrew, uh, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Now, so the Ukraine wants in and they want in now. Uh, I can see why it makes sense from their perspective. That kind of alliance would be extremely helpful for Ukraine right now, right? Yes, but it would commit NATO to a war with Russia, right. essentially the Third World War. So, Essentially what would happen United- is if Ukraine becomes part of NATO, then immediately and as of that moment, NATO is engaged in combat with Russia, right? That's right. Uh, and, and the full war, which means a nuclear... Uh, nuclear guarantees and um, potential for Armageddon. But that question has been put to bed uh, by the United States this weekend uh, when they very quickly actually responded and said that now is not the time. The American open door policy remains uh, for Ukraine and and Georgia and others to join NATO at at a certain point in time. But now is not the time. The Americans put the emphasis that the important thing is to support Ukraine uh, as we are currently constructed uh, to uh, to uh, in their in their fight against the Russians and Canada the same thing the open door policy they also accept so what does that look like I mean uh, in terms of that these these countries that you mentioned at some point um, the recommendation is they become part of NATO right yeah it's it's at some point uh, and and one has to remember that also it takes consensus of all thirty members so just to remind ourselves that the accession process for Sweden and Finland which was, while the process was approved by the alliance at their NATO summit in June, the actual ratification process is not yet complete, and Turkey continues to to say that they may not ratify unless they have satisfaction with the Turk, with the uh, the Swedes and the Finns on the handling of the Kurd refugees, which the Turks describe as terrorists. Gotcha. Um, in terms of when this might happen, that timeline, nothing can proceed. Let me put it this way. Even if this incident that is taking place right now is resolved and we allow Ukraine to become part of NATO, isn't the risk infinitely higher that once again we'll end up in another conflict where now Ukraine is engaged in combat with Russia? I mean, Russia's made it pretty clear that the the future looks like Ukraine is part of Russia, and I don't think they're just going to let that go, do you? Well, uh, no, but but we don't know how this war is going to end yet. Fair. So, so the the idea what the Americans are saying is that essentially let let's let's wait till this is over, and then let's see what the world looks like. And I I think that this war has got a few more very important stages to go through before we know how it will end, and we don't know how it will end. We can speculate, but until such time as as we know what the world looks like after this war, and I think it'll look somewhat different, 
uh, we then can postulate on what the NATO alliance future structure will be. Gotcha. Okay. Now, in terms of the uh, referenda that were held in the annexation of these regions of Ukraine, um, no legitimacy given to them by the by the West. How did, does it change anything in terms of where we're going with this conflict? The the actual um, acquisition of the or annexation of those four oblasts doesn't really change uh, the issue. Uh, what is threatening or possibly to change the issue is the Russian, is the Ukrainian advance, particularly in the south now, which happened in the last 24 hours in Kershaw. Uh, this advance uh, puts the Ukrainians on the road toward, on the land bridge now, along the Black Sea to Crimea. And Crimea is the different one. Because the Russians regard, and Putin and so on, they regard the, the four oblasts in eastern Ukraine as Russified Ukrainian right. lands. They yeah. are not so existential. But Crimea, which they annexed in 2014-15, they regard that as wholly different. Uh, from a Russian point of view, and the majority of Russians here, not just Putin, this is a vast majority of Russians, believe that historically... Not necessarily legally, by virtue of 1991, but historically, this is Russian land by virtue of Catherine the Great taking it from the the, the, the Ottomans in, in the in the 18th century. The other point here about Crimea is that it is why it is such a strategic keystone here is that the Black Sea Fleet, the Russian Black Sea Fleet, is based at Sevastopol, and the Black Sea Fleet has nuclear weapons, so it is nuclear capable. And this whole question now becomes, you know, Putin has said, I, we will defend Russian territory with all the weapons at our uh, yes. ability. Uh, th- th- in my assessment, this threat of the nuclear potential really relates to Crimea in a realistic sense. So what Putin is trying to do, he's trying to suggest they, they are nuclear capable. In it, uh, uh, The fall of Sevastopol and Crimea, from a Russian point of view, could be construed as an existential defeat, and therefore their threat is has carries credibility there. So my postulation is that I don't believe to, uh, that Putin actually wants to use these weapons. He doesn't. Mm. But what he wants to use is the threat of these weapons in a credible way to pressure the Ukrainians and to pressure the Americans to pressure the Ukrainians to stop short of Crimea in their offensive operations. This is what I think it's all about. And we'll see it and, and get a ceasefire, basically. And this okay. is where I think things turn. Um, and, and that would be acceptable because I'm hearing all kinds of different analysts saying, well, Putin will not accept defeat. He will go down having deployed every option he has available because it's the end of the road for him if he doesn't win this. Uh, you think there is still an off-ramp here? I believe there is, um, because don't forget, Putin has to deal with a number of factions back in Russia as well. And not everybody is, is, is on board with this crusade yeah. in, the, in, the, in, the, in Ukraine. And basically, there, there are splits occurring in the Russian elites right now about this whole thing. And I think a ceasefire arrangement uh, would be acceptable. Uh, it, it, it could be spun as a kind of a pseudo victory for him. I mean, he needs some face saving uh, room to maneuver. Totally. He's not going to get all of Ukraine. He's not going to get the Oblast right now. Uh, and he knows that. So he's looking for, I think he is looking for an off ramp. And, and that would be acceptable, even though he's made no gains then. He would maintain Crimea uh, and, yeah. and, and would go back home, but he wouldn't have actually changed anything that was in place, you know, in January of this year. 
there would be a lot of spin going on. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the other thing is that that ceasefire may not necessarily – that question is in the other parts. How far will the Ukrainians uh, advance against the Russian positions? Will they advance to where they were before February? Um, you know, that's a postulation. There's a probability. I mean, the Russians are not doing well on the battlefield. That is clear now to everybody along the entire front. So, yes, I mean, I think it's a question of spin. Yeah, but yeah. They, they need an off-ramp. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, always a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Shane. That is Andrew Rasoulis, who is a defense expert with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. He's been a frequent commenter here on the show for us, uh, talking about this situation. Wealth of knowledge. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.